Most religions share a belief that the body and spirit coexist until the body has perished and the spirit moves on into the afterlife. However, there are those that remain. Some stay with a purpose. Some are doomed to relive their own violent deaths. These spirits are one of the oldest aspects associated with Halloween. For generations to come, people will still gather around the campfire to tell the stories of ghosts. Welcome to 13 Degrees of Screams, where we watch and dissect your favorite spooky movies. I'm your host, Alex. And Stephanie. And this is a mostly horror podcast. Each season, we will rank 13 movies on a scariness scale from, you guessed it, 1 to 13. We will uncover the real-life myths and legends that inspire these movies and tell you just how authentic they are. This week, we travel in the in-between with The Lovely Bones. Please note, this episode deals with child murder and sexual assault. So, Stephanie. Yes. (laughs) Have you seen The Lovely Bones before watching it for the podcast? Yeah, quite a few times, actually, even though every time I watch it, it makes me terribly upset. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would hope so. Yeah, I, no, it's definitely not comfort food for the soul. <laughs> yeah, no one pops in the Lovely Bones, you know, you know what, I want to feel good today. You know what movie sounds <laughs> I need something great? to fall asleep to. Yeah, like <laughs> Lovely Bones. Yeah. We love this one. Yeah, I actually saw it in theaters. I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast before, but my sister used to get tickets from her old job to just, like, random movies. And oh, okay. one of them being The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, which I don't think we'll cover in this podcast. I but don't think there's a paranormal aspect there. Well, the pants. The <laughs> oh, pants oh, yeah. are paranormal. Pants. I don't a know. Cursed a cursed <laughs> Yeah, we'll do a whole season on pants. Cursed pants. But I saw it in theaters, and it was very upsetting. Yeah. Oh, that's just her, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very upsetting. <laughs> yeah. I hate, it made me cry. No, I didn't know pants could fit that many people. <laughs> actually, that movie is sad too. But Lovely Bones <laughs> definitely got me. Got no, no, Lovely Bones upsets me to my core. Yeah, I don't know if I would have seen this movie if I didn't get tickets, but I don't know. I kind of like it. I do too. It's unique in the way it tells the story and... I mean, I feel like there is other movies out there that revolve around a ghost trying to help solve its own murder, yeah. in the sense, but definitely not exactly what they're going for either. No, it's not not in this aspect, and we'll talk about how they kind of deal with it, you know, in the plot and how it's different, but no, it's just really unique how they pull it off. It's different than any other movie I've seen, and we'll kind of talk about that during the plot. Right. Uh, the one the one gripe I have with the movie, though, is just, I feel like the tone is all over the place. Yeah. was my one kind of gripe with it. It feels like some parts are like a teen comedy drama sometimes. Some are like horror movie. And yeah. then some is like fantasy. And I just feel like they kind of missed the mark on mixing those. Which They I, seem really confused can. at the message they wanted to give. So they just kind of went with like, let's do like a smattering of everything. <laughs> yeah. Which I know you have a book comparison. I'm not sure how the book deals with that differently but not as nicely not as nicely i mean the book is much raw much more much much raw much raw (laughs) it's very raw yeah the the book is raw in comparison (laughs) raw raw dinosaurs go raw are you ready to dive into some of the movie background yes so the lovely bones came out in 2009 and is described as a supernatural thriller drama film and is directed by peter jackson and written by Jackson himself, along with Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens. 
It was based on Alice Siebold's 2002 novel of the same name and stars Tiersha Ronan, Mark Wahlberg, Rachel Weisz, Susan Sarandon, Stanley Tucci, and Michael Imperioli. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that plays. Oops. Sorry, Michael. I didn't check who you played. If I had a guess, it would probably be the detective because he's a somewhat bigger character, kind of. I believe so. All I know about the detective is he is the nephew on The Sopranos. Oh. Yes. Fun fact. Yeah. I didn't know that. So the plot follows a girl who is murdered and watches over her family from the in-between and is torn between seeking vengeance on her killer or allowing her family to heal. Which, girl, you could do both. Mm-hmm. You could have done both. They, they'll heal, but you could also get your revenge. Yeah. I'd be a vengeful ghost. Seriously. Like, I'd be doing it myself, though. I wouldn't be, like, just trying to get Daddy to do it for me. Right. I'd be one of the Black Zodiac from <laughs> or 13 Ghosts. Yeah. Like, I'd be one of them. You're crushing people's bodies and yeah. half. Like... <laughs> Yeah, you know, normal Tuesday. (laughs) So it was actually an international co-production between the United States, the United Kingdom, and New Zealand. And the film was produced by Carolyn Cunningham, Walsh Jackson, and Amy Pirinet, with Steven Spielberg, Tessa Ross, Ken Kamins, and James Wilson as executive producers. So... A lot of people... A lot of ideas coming Putting in. their fingies yeah. in the pot. I, I was really shocked by Steven Spielberg. I had no idea he was, was involved. I was most surprised by Percy Jackson, because here's like this director that did like Lord of the Rings, King Kong. Did you just call him Percy Jackson? I know. Percy Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Percy Jackson? Uh, what's his name? <laughs> Peter Jackson? Peter Jackson, yeah. You know, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Yeah, I didn't know he directed this. Yeah, you know, the character came out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because he's known for Lord of the Rings, that franchise. Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, he did King Kong in the middle, and then he's just like, lovely bones. I mean, there's fantasy elements in here, and murder, but you know, some fantasy elements. It's just very weirdly mixed. Hmm. So Lovely Bones was released to mainly negative reviews from critics. The story and its message were generally criticized, but the praise came mainly from the visual effects, Peter Jackson's direction, and the performances of Saoirse Ronan and Stanley Tucci. Did you want to talk about the book Um, and her parallels to the actual events? Yes. Just a little... Not fun facts. <laughs> just about, facts. Regular. Yeah, just just regular, not fun facts. Actually, these are disturbing facts. Yes. These are unhappy facts. Unhappy facts about the author. She was actually the victim of assault and rape at 18 and ended up writing her memoir, Lucky. And it was about the assault and she named it Lucky because a police officer that took her statement said that she was lucky because a girl had recently been killed where she was assaulted oh my god that's crazy yeah that's scary oh my god yeah so there's that and she also stated at one point or another that lucky and the lovely bones the predators in those books were a depiction of her actual assailant who she brought to justice and has recently been released because he has been found innocent what yeah he pleaded innocent throughout the whole case and everything and any parole hearings and everything and they found that the evidence against him was unfounded oh god i wonder how she feels about that yeah because that's a really sticky situation because if she could have been wrong but also no yeah who knows it's hard to say i don't know how 
I didn't go into all of the research of the court and stuff like how long it could have been since her actual assault mm-hmm. as well. So who knows after a traumatic event how well you remember that yeah. kind of stuff as well. That's terrible on so many levels because A, he did it and he's being released. So now he's out there. Mm-hmm. Or B, he was innocent the whole time, which sucks for him. But then the person who actually did it has been out this the whole, whole time. The whole time, yeah. So... All around. Just it's it's no good either way. No, no good. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's scary. So there's that. <laughs> Would you like to hear about the plot? No. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Okay. In 1973, our narrator, Susie Salmon, is a vivacious 14-year-old freshman recalling her adolescence. She describes her dream of being a professional wildlife photographer, how her grandma had predicted that she'd live a long life after saving her little brother Buckley from choking and even mentions the crush she has on a senior boy from school named Ray, whom has asked her to meet him at the gazebo in the mall that coming Saturday. <laughs> so first of all, Grandma was very wrong. Mm-hmm. Very, very wrong. Oh, yeah, that's my, that's my next sentence. All of this would be for naught. <laughs> oh, well, it's true. But also, Ray is not a real person. No, like he's fictional. Right. When I first saw him, I'm like, there's some nefarious deeds. Because I, I don't know, Susie didn't seem like a popular kid. I guess they don't really go much into her school life. I mean, she seems well-liked, at least by her immediate circle, I guess. Like, you only see her with, like, the, really the one friend, and it's... Her boyfriend guy, and... Yeah, the boyfriend's kind of trash. And then Ray, who is this British... 18-year-old, looking at a 14-year-old, like... She is the most beautiful creature that ever walked the right. earth. And I'm like, this is literally a 14-year-old girl fantasy. Yeah. How is this really happening? And he's a senior and he just basically speaks in poetry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, Ray is up to no goods. That I was mean, my first reaction. Yeah. I was also trying to rationalize it, too, that Ray would be interested in her because it's the 70s. And, you know, like, age gaps weren't as oh, prevalent yeah, in yeah, that yeah. kind of scenario. Like, when we were growing up, it would be a little more icky, I think, to date a 14-year-old while you were 18. But, yeah, you know, like, if you think about it, like, our parents' generation, my parents are five years apart. I mean, they didn't date in high school, but Right, but still, they would have been, they, yeah. That would have been their age difference. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like in high school. I don't know. I don't remember. It's been so long oh, since yes. high school. The times. <laughs> the times. I guess it also makes me feel a little better that she's not in eighth grade. She's in ninth grade. I don't know why that does anything for well, me. Well, at least they're in the same school bracket. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're not like... She's not in junior high. Like, right. Once you're in high school, you're in high school. You're older. You're more <laughs> mature, you know? So, I mean, at least they're going to the same school. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, all of this would be for naught, though, because this is when Susie reveals that she was murdered. Right off the bat. She's like, this is the day I died. I'm like, what? Uh, yeah. And <laughs> every time I watch it, I am almost always convinced we're about to watch like a coming of age story about how she's going to go on a date with Ray mm-hmm. and she's going to become like a little wildlife photographer and stuff like that. And then this happens. And yeah. I'm like. The juxtaposition between a happy go lucky. 14-year-old who's about to go on a date, and then I died. And it's like, oh. Uh, oh. And it really starts to move the tone into a darker direction. And on her walk home from school, Mr. Harvey lures Susie into a clubhouse he built under the nearby cornfield. He makes her uncomfortable by, like, mentioning how cute she is. And, like, they're just, like, in this dark little room lit by candles. And she wants to leave, but he's telling her to be polite. And she tries to make a run for it, and he lunges at her. 
but she flees before he can pull her back down. She runs into town and into her home, realizing that everything is empty and dark and the loved ones she can see don't see or hear her. It's only after a door opens and reveals her killer sitting in the bath, cleaning off her blood, and she sees her bracelet sitting on the sink Does she realize that she didn't make it out of the clubhouse. And so screaming, she is pulled into a form of limbo between heaven and earth. Or the in-between. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, she sees her dad because the family's having dinner and the dad's out looking for her. And she's running and she sees him in town. And everything's, like, really foggy. Mm-hmm. And she sees him. And she's, like, calling out to him. But, and it's weird because he's the only person she sees. Right. It's really interesting. She doesn't see the rest of the people. Yeah. Like, that's why I said only, like, a few loved mm-hmm. ones. But she does run past an outcast girl from school called Ruth. Oh, because she's the weird girl. Yeah, she's a little bit more... Sensitive to that kind of a thing. In tune, yes. Yeah, and And Ruth Ruth does see her running, and it's sort of... Like, she sort of looks like her, but she's kind of, like, misty as well. Yeah, she kind of sees her a little bit. Yeah, after a few steps, she runs past her. Yeah, and Ruth is... I don't want to say she's a big character, but she comes into play, like, randomly, sporadically. Yeah, throughout. So strange. But I will say that scene with the the killer in the bathtub with the mud and the blood everywhere makes me feel so uncomfortable. So icky. Like the rubbing of the towel and stuff on his face. Yeah, it's a towel on his face. And it's not like a normal bathroom. It's like this big, bright, white room. We can't even see the walls, but all that's there is him in this bathtub with, like, mud. Mud and blood and stuff and and dirty clothes surrounding him and the sink and... There's, like, one of those straight razors, too, mm-hmm. sitting next to the bracelet. Yeah, so we go, like, in the matter of, like, ten minutes, we go from this... Happy young girl about to go on a date into her murder, basically. Like, a very disturbing scene. And I tell you, though, like, every time I watch it, like, my heart is, like, in my throat. Like, and I almost always want to believe that she gets away. Yeah, like, it's like the realization really yeah. hits you. I mean, you know she did. But it's like when she realizes she's dead, you're like, oh, my And not to shame Susie, but girl, I feel like you should. Well, it was the 70s, so I guess. But like, would a hole in the ground really intrigue you that much to go into the cornfield in the ground? I will say, I'll sprinkle my book comparisons in between her. And she does rationalize that he does kind of give her the creeps, but she is just so like, scientifically fascinated by the fact that he could build a hole in the ground that she's almost thinks of it as just like a curiosity like that's why she wants to see it and it's also like a thing of being polite and like she wouldn't have even talked to him if she hadn't seen him talking to her parents previously that's fair but in the movie it just seems she's like ooh, a clubhouse i'm like i feel like at 14 i mean she's at that cusp where like you're still pretty kid-like, but also you're in high school. I don't know. Not Again, not to shame the victim here. No, but like, no. But like, no, don't go in that hole. Yeah. Like, what? there's nothing in there for you. No, I never would have gone in there, to right. be honest. Like, at least not alone. Like, if there was another child with me, maybe. But that's just kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, meanwhile, her parents, Jack and Abigail, are trying to convince Detective Fennerman that she didn't run away and something must have happened to her. Since this takes place in the 70s, the idea of pedophiles and child-related crimes weren't really a publicly known concept yet, so a child's disappearance wasn't taken as seriously until the 80s. So, like, milk carton kids and stuff didn't start until, like, the 80s when Mm -hmm. they started to show, like, those Stranger Danger specials and stuff like that. Yeah, I think Susie said something along the lines of, like, things like that don't happen here. Right. Oh, girl, they happen, and they happen to you. I am so sorry. Yeah. 
I mean, they do. They just weren't, like, so publicly recognized. Right, yeah. Like, stuff like that has happened through... Throughout time. Throughout times. But it's just, like, one of those things that's not, like, on the news. And they also didn't, like, recognize, like, pedophilia as, like, an illness or whatever. Or, like, an actual thing a person could be. Rather than... Yeah. Like, a weird scenario. People have just been trashed since, like, the dawn of man. So, you know. It just always surprises me, too. Like, this only came to light in the 80s. Like, they were like, oh! (laughs) What? People are weird. Like <laughs> people are messed up. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't. We should really start catching these guys. <laughs> right, we don't acknowledge these things in our communities because stuff like that doesn't happen. Right, wink, mm. wink. Yeah, I mean, watch Mindhunter. It really gets into that. I actually started that. Oh yeah, I never finished. So the police do end up searching and find her hat and a significant amount of blood in a caved-in shelter under the cornfield, but no signs of Susie's body. And in the book, they actually state that a dog finds her elbow bone. Her elbow bone? Mm-hmm. It's not her hat. Oh, my God. And when the book talks about the rape in general, you know the hat that she's wearing and it, like, jingles mm-hmm. and stuff like that? Yeah. He gets upset during the rape that she's pleading for her life and puts it in her mouth and... She can't scream, so all she can make is these, like, croaking, jingling oh sounds in it. God. And it so much, like, violates every part of me. Uh, yeah. Internally. He's upset that she's pleading for her life. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry that that is ruining your time. Yeah. Oh, that pisses me off. Oh, it upsets me to my core. And, like, she describes him climbing onto her and his smell and stuff like that. He makes some sort of comment about her underwear. Mm. And makes her feel uncomfortable even more so. And eventually, once he's through, he asks her to tell him that she loves Listen, him. Uh, and mm-hmm. he kills her all the same, even though she does tell him. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so if you liked the movie and you were thinking about the book, please know that that's a whole different beast. The book is much darker, and just see the movie. Yeah. And maybe keep the book on the shelf. Yeah, because <laughs> luckily the movie doesn't show any of this. It shows her escaping, but that's not actually what happened. They don't show any of this stuff, so... Right. That is all book-related. This is... Like, you only get the sense of it just because of how he talks to her and looks at her that it's going to be a sexually motivated crime. Yeah. So, yeah. All that. So, as the investigation drags on with no real leads, even after the police interviewed Mr. Harvey, who had her bracelet... Sitting out in the open. Yeah, they show up to his house and he just had it on the table. I'm like, please catch him right now. Please. And the bracelet was in the photos they were showing to him. I know, so they would have. They should have recognized it. Right. Well, they didn't see it. He, like, slips it in his pocket, but not quick enough, honestly. Because in every crime show I've ever seen, like, one person sits with the person talking and asking questions while the other person kind of roams around the mm-hmm. space trying to get a lay of the land. Well, the other one was looking at the houses that he, because he built those uh, doll houses. So he was looking at the that. The bracelet was in the house. It was on the other side. It was on the other house. I mean, it, like a couple more seconds, I feel like they would have saw it. Yeah. Yeah, this movie's so frustrating with the amount of times this man. Gets all, away with he's awful so things. Yeah. Yes. And Jack becomes obsessive over the case, bringing multiple people to the police's attention for further investigation. Like, he even says he looked into someone's taxes, and you know what, like, someone's taxes can say about them. He's a little bit going crazy about it. Yeah, I don't blame him. I'd be in the same situation. But his wife, Abigail, becomes more distant and tries to avoid, like, Susie's room and memory. She doesn't want to talk about it anymore. 
Eventually, Abigail's alcoholic mother comes to take care of Susie's younger siblings, Lindsay and Buckley, and she takes off to California to live. Oh my god, the grandma was my favorite character. <laughs> she's awesome, honestly. And this was another, like, tonal shift. Like, once the grandma comes, she's like, just, I don't know how she survives as a human being. She knows how to do nothing. She's no, like, like, she's literally, like, setting her kitchen on fire. and Yeah, but she has such a blase attitude. She's like, whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I love her. <laughs> I'm like, I aspire to be her when I grow up, honestly. <laughs> Grandma has, like, the vibe of, like, going to work on a Monday. You're like, no. Like, yeah. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to be here. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the in-between, Susie meets a young girl named Holly who encourages her to move forward. But Susie resists wanting to watch over her family and be avenged for her death. She realizes she's able to influence people like Ruth, the outcast from her school, who feels her presence and actually found poetry that Ray had written for Susie. And this scenario strikes up like an unlikely friendship between the two. Mm -hmm. However, Susie soon learns that the outside world can influence her limbo as well. When her father breaks the ships and the bottles they worked on together in grief, Susie sees giant versions of them crashing into each other on the water. And when Mr. Harvey throws her bracelet into the river, it causes Susie to sink into the underwater version of her killer's home. Susie still refuses to confront it, so she and Holly go on to be. At ease in a world of their design, going sledding, dressing up, dancing, going on adventures, etc. It's basically like anything you can think of their like minds can create in this other yeah. world. Like they had like a bunch of puppies kind of like run through and I was like, well, that's we fine. Go. I'll that's be all. fine there. Right. Yeah, it's really cool. Again, I think the visual effects for the time were really good. They're not terrible. But they almost look like screensaver type situation. Yeah. Like like mountains are literally just like moving in the background and I do like the scene with the giant ships. Like, she's on a beach. Yeah. And there's, like, those ships in the bottles, and they're crashing into each other. I thought that was really cool. But I like the concept of the in-between. I think it's really cool. Yeah. And the way, like, she's influencing things. It's just interesting how they influence each other. Like, slightly. Like, not all the time. No. But. But, like, enough to be, like. Noticeable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Susie still manages to watch over her family and sees her sister surpass her in age and receive her first kiss. Which, by the way, I noticed which is something odd, is I feel like the sister grew up, like, exponentially, but the brother stayed the same. Yeah. Like, the brother was, like, still, like, four years old, and the sister became, like, 18 in, like, two minutes. Right, and I know we'll probably talk about it at the end, because, like, Susie's the oldest. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, the sister's pregnant all of a sudden. That's, like, just jumping ahead, though, I think. I think by the time, right before he escapes, which, spoiler, but yeah. right before he escapes, she's, like, 16, 17, maybe 18. I thought this only took place over a year, but who knows? No, maybe a couple years. I, I think it jumps ahead further. Okay, so another grief, then, I have with this movie is that I don't know how <laughs> There's long... There's no, the, like, clear timeline. Time. Yeah. I don't know how long this has been. Right. The younger sister is like a woman all of a sudden. Like, <laughs> yeah. What, and what she starts off like 13 and she's very much like the younger version of 13. Like, right. Not like a mature <laughs> teenager at all. Mm -hmm. So, however, every night Susie can hear Harvey's previous victims calling her into the house to reveal their truth. Susie then guides her father by moving the flame of a candle, which if you want to go into further detail, you can because that's all I really have. On okay. That. Well, fine. I will, I will talk about it because it's a really cool scene. The dad has a candle. Mm -hmm. And he has it up against a window. So you see the reflection, obviously. So the flame, the real flame is still, but in the reflection he sees it moving. Like wind is blowing through it. Mm -hmm. 
so it's not matching up. So it's it's Susie controlling that, which is really interesting. Yeah, and you can almost like kind of the way he's looking into the window. It almost seems like he's seeing her face, even though you don't see it. Yeah, like he's convinced it's her. Like what? Else? I mean, I guess I would too. Yeah. Because like, what else would that be? Right. And she also makes a dead flower from Mr. Harvey's garden, like, bloom in his hand, which leads him to believe his neighbor is Susie's murderer. Yeah, I did. I mean, I didn't get that. I don't know if I would have gotten that connection. I actually saw, like, a really interesting analogy online for it, that in flashbacks we see that Susie would take pictures of Mr. Harvey's garden while talking to her parents, and Mm -hmm. someone online pointed out the symbolism to it was that Mr. Harvey was tending these plants so he could watch Susie when she was biking, Mm -hmm. and then once he had killed her, he didn't care for them anymore because there wasn't a need to. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. So, I mean, good on him for making that connection. I don't think I would have thought that. I was like, whoa, this flower just magically. Yeah. Well, he's also, like, I didn't mention it in the plot synopsis because it's not as relevant, but he is developing all of the films, like, month by month that she had taken. And she does see the picture of Harvey that she had taken when they were talking to him in the garden. Yeah. And that kind of, like, Gets the juices flowing. Yeah, that he's that's creepy. Well, <laughs> just talking to this man for more than two seconds, yeah, you, you might gather he's a yeah, little weird. He's odd, anyway. Yeah, I would have been like, it's him. <laughs> it's him. Oh, by the way, we we didn't describe Mr. Harvey for anyone that hasn't seen the movie. Just like think of your stereotypical, like what would you imagine a pedophile would look like? <laughs> really big glasses, mustache. Like <laughs> take that as you will. <laughs> Comb over, like. Yeah. Not to stereotype anyone out there that looks like that. Oh, yeah. I mean. (laughs) But you know. Maybe reconsider your outfit choices. But that's just stereotyping. Yeah. I mean, just looking at him, he just looks like a dude. But like, just talk. It's his mannerisms and the way he talks. That's what really sells it. Yeah, that as well. So with these little signs from Susie, she kind of inspires Jack to take matters into his own hands because the police have kind of officially given up on the search. And Susie is just so hungry for revenge that it almost seems like these two combinations of Jack wanting to find out what happened to her, mm-hmm. plus Susie being so angry about the whole situation, are like driving him forward to just go out and do like the unrational. Yeah. So he sees Harvey go into a cornfield and he assumes he's going there to cover up evidence or something like that. So he follows them there with a baseball bat. And the scene's rough because he calls out to him and ends up running into a young teenage couple, Susie's friends, ironically, Mm -hmm. from school. And they assault him because they think that he's trying to attack them. Right. Rightfully so. I mean, yeah. But mercilessly, like, they think he's dead. (laughs) He's almost, he almost dies. Yeah. Like, in the hospital. Right. So after her father is hospitalized, Susie's world begins to crumble, which forces her to confront her fate. So literally, like, her own little in-between world starts to just fall apart. Like, she has, like, a gazebo that Mm -hmm. she's been watching people from, and it just kind of crumbles into the earth. Yeah. Which is, like, another sinkhole reference, I think, too. Yeah, I think so, because, well, we'll We'll get to the sinkhole. (laughs) What ultimately happens with this sinkhole, which is a plot point, weirdly enough. Yes. So she ends up entering Harvey's house, and it leads her to all the grave sites of his previous victims. And they go in this order, which is ironic because they are not... Chronological. Yeah. But it starts off with Sophie from PA in 1960. His landlady was found on the side of the highway. 
Jackie from Delaware, 1967, that was only 13, found in a drainage ditch. Leah in Delaware from 1969, dumped in the river. Lana, 1960, she was lured into a shack he built out of doors. So you kind of get like the background that he's always almost concocting some sort of trap, Mm -hmm. entrapment. And she was only six years old. Mm -hmm. And Flora in Delaware of 1963, he just wanted to touch her, but she screamed. And that's all they give for the explanation of what happened to her. And Denise, finally who also liked to be called Holly in Connecticut, 1971. She vanished at 13 years old when her parents were closing up their shop. Mm -hmm. And Susie, 1973, PA, 14 years old, murdered in a room he built under the earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh, this man. Mm -hmm. How many people is that? One, two, three, four. Seven. Six, seven. Yeah. Oh, my God. Catch this man, please. I know. It's upsetting. So, on Earth, Lindsay's convinced her father's suspicions are correct and outwardly focuses on Mr. Harvey enough to draw his attention and scheme to capture her as well. So I know, once he's... St- I'm like, uh-uh, mm-hmm. Lindsay. Lindsay! Back off! Run! Mm-mm, that pissed me off. I'm like, you're really, you're really gonna go after... I was like, you're not-, not even logically thinking about this anymore, right? Like, right. if you're gonna go after another girl from the same family. Right. And could you imagine? Oh, my God. Ugh. Mm-mm. No. So Lindsay actually breaks into his house to search for evidence and comes across a book of articles of Susie's disappearance, blueprints of the bunker she was killed in, and a lock of her hair. She then narrowly escapes being captured by Mr. Harvey herself, runs home, and finds her mother has actually returned home and is almost like completely distracted by the fact that I was like, do something with the book. I know. Do something with the book. This was like such a frustrating scene. I'm like, show the book. (laughs) And she like almost doesn't. Yeah. She like puts it behind her back. Yeah. But the detective's there, right? No, or? it's just the grandma and the parents oh, and Buckley and her. Oh, the grandma, the grandma. Yeah, but the grandma notices that she looks kind of disheveled mm-hmm. and, like, out of breath and everything. So she turns over the book to her, and the grandma actually makes the call to the police. But unfortunately, Mr. Harvey has already left with a safe containing Susie's body. Also, when she is searching through the house, I find it very unsettling that Lindsay walks right past the safe that her body's in. Yeah, and that's not an airtight safe, I wouldn't think. You would have smelled. You think? Maybe. If it's been years? Yeah, I guess so. That's why the time does not make sense to me. Like, he had a safe with her body in his basement this whole time. Right. Like, that is bones. Yeah. It's bones. Like, yeah. And it yeah. would have smelled. There's no way. I don't think that safe would have contained a decaying body for years in a basement. I'm like, right. Mm. And honestly, if you were looking for evidence and if, if you saw a safe in someone's home, wouldn't that be the first place you'd want to check? I mean, granted, I don't think you'd want her to find Susie's body right. like that. Right. But isn't that the first place you'd be like, oh, he's keeping something there. A body-sized like, safe, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the evidence she found is fine, but... Yeah, that was enough. I mean, they had a lock of her own freaking hair in there. Right. So, meanwhile, beginning to accept her fate, heaven opens up for Susie, who is greeted by all of Harvey's previous victims, but she realizes there's just one more thing she has to do before she crosses over. Honestly, (laughs) I'm almost frustrated for the other girls that are just, like, freaking waiting for her. Like, like, Susie, come on. on. It's been years. Yeah, so go on, go on. This part pissed me off. Fine, fine, go do what you have to do. Uh (laughs) And you would think it would be something a little bit more profound. Or important. Yes. But go on, tell tell the audience what she does. So we look on to see Ray and Ruth are hanging out at Ruth's family farm, 
when Harvey pulls up to dump the safe into the farm sinkhole. And this is like a big thing. Like people go here in the town to dump stuff yeah. in this thing. Which is so random. Like, it's Ruth's, a really random thing. <laughs> I've never heard of something like that before. I don't know. <laughs> Ruth's family owns a sinkhole that the whole town uses. And, and they just happened to be covering up. When Harvey's, like, pulling up, they're like, no, we're going to close it and fill it in. And they're like, oh, no. Like, Here's some money. And they're like, all right, hurry up. Yeah. So, the, oh, my God. So, we think Susie is maybe coming to stop this from happening, but she actually just takes over Ruth's body. Possesses her. Yeah, possesses her. And so, like, Ruth passes out, and Ray comes to her aid, and he, like, closes his eyes, and then all of a sudden it's Susie. Yeah, he sees Susie. <laughs> yeah. Possessing Ruth's body. Yeah, so Susie gets to fulfill her wish of kissing Ray, and Harvey gets away. As we just, like, watch this safe tumble into the sinkhole, and I'm like, This is what why? Choosy. Cho- this is what Choosy chooses. <laughs> this is what Susie chooses to do. Yeah. Instead yeah. of, like, hey, my body's in there. Right. I, she knows that, right? Yeah, she has to. She has to. She has to, right? Yeah. No. So she's at the same place where her murderer is currently dumping her own ass body. Right outside. Right outside the damn window. <laughs> and what does she do? Kissy, kissy. <laughs> yeah, and it's similar in the book. The only tie-in actually is that her and Ray actually go all the way. Mm. Yeah. Using Ruth's body? Yes. She did not consent. <laughs> oh. And they spend a night together, honestly. Because in the book, she had already kissed Ray, like, previously, before the book had started. That, like, no shade, but, like, used Ruth's body without her permission, right? Yeah, kinda. That's not right. No. That's wrong on so many levels. What is happening? Yeah. I don't know. And Susie and Ruth weren't even friends prior, but I guess, like, Ruth has accepted that, like, she has, like, a connection to Susie. Yeah. Like, she's using some of her mannerisms that Ray caught on and at one point said, like, what are you, 13? Because... She says, like, something about Mr. Harvey pulling up and giving her the skeevies. Which Susie used earlier. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I I just think Ruth is just, she has connection to the afterlife in general, because she was always deemed the weird kid before that. So I think she's just sensitive sensitive to that stuff anyway. So Right. But that part, I'm like, really, this is what we choose to do? But anyways. Yeah, and the ending doesn't get better. <laughs> no. So Harvey gets a fucking way. Yeah. So, so we see some... Quote, unquote, some time pass. We don't know how many years. <laughs> no, no indication. And we see Harvey approach a young woman in a parking lot to offer a ride, but she rejects him. He's then hit by a stray icicle, startling him enough to step backwards and fall down a cliff to his death. Well, thank God, I guess. I mean, I guess something stopped him. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was Susie, because there is a moment earlier in the in-between with the icicles and ice. That, yeah. And, like, when the icicle actually falls there's like a shimmer that runs down it and it breaks so i think it is Susie or somebody controlling that yeah but like but then he wasn't i mean he died yeah but i wish there was closure for the family right the families too families like, yes like exactly. you have to imagine that the other murders went unsolved as well right. otherwise they'd have he'd be locked up yeah they'd have him so, right. <sighs> yeah. yeah so it just seems like such a cop-out yes Especially since we see that, like, Susie kind of, like, longs to have this kiss with Ray, like, somewhat in between. But it also feels like it's mainly driven by the fact that she wants to avenge her murder and she wants to make sure he pays and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So then for her to just, like, completely forget about that aspect and let go at the end, I guess it's symbolic to, like, the grieving process and all that stuff. And Well, so here's the thing. 
So it's like after she sees all the victims and Holly kind of guides her, that she's like, okay, you're right. We should just move on. But if I was her and I saw all the other victims, especially that little baby six-year-old, mm-hmm. that pissed me off even more. And I'd be like, we got to we gotta finish this. Yeah. yeah. No, she's like, okay, well, I just got to move on and just let it go. I'm like, no, because here's the thing, Susie, by you coming back and just getting a kiss and not stopping him, you put everyone else in danger by not stopping right. this man. Right. You're like, if he kills more, that's fine. Who's to say, like... That the girl that he saw in the parking lot was, like, the next person he right. actually talked to. Luckily, like, she was smart enough to be, like, fuck off kind yeah, of a thing. Yeah, no, she, she knew he was creepy. But But still. what if she did? She would have gone in the car, the icicle would have never fallen, and then all because Susie wanted to kiss Ray using Ruth's body? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, the whole ending is just a cluster. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. So Susie has moved on to heaven and finds that her family is healing. And closes out by wishing the audience a long and happy life. Girl, bye. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> Girl, bye. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the ending is, it just kind of ends. It's like he gets away, but he ends up dying. And like, look, I'm all for unhappy endings. Like, I don't necessarily need a happy ending. But he got technically caught. They just couldn't find him. Yeah. I don't know, because I knew it was him at that point. Right. They just couldn't find just him. get him. Oh, my God. It's so frustrating. I think it's also trying to be truthful to the fact that most cases of this nature kind of go unresolved. Right. But, yeah. No, I understand that. But it seemed uh, to be the whole driving force of the movie it's, for the longest time. It's the fact that Susie was able to possess Ruth and she did nothing about That's the part. Like, if he got away, fine. I understand that happens in real life. Mm-hmm. But Susie Dunn possessed Ruth and Ruth, Ruth and was like, <laughs> kissy. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, Susie, come on. And just the whole, like, she was so dead set on revenge. And then she's like, okay, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> I guess it was because her father ended up getting so brutally attacked and stuff like that when he did seek revenge. That was like a turning point for her. Let that not all be for naught, you know? Right. I feel like almost like killing him off with an icicle like that is almost the more violent form of revenge than just making sure he gets apprehended. I don't know. I feel like killing that man is, he needs to suffer. He needs to yeah, be in jail yeah. like he for only, a long time. <laughs> like, like he broke his neck on the fall. He didn't like suffer any further after the fall, you know? No, like, I don't know. I'm just like, killing is merciful in this case. Like he needs to live the rest of his life. Alone and in jail. In a two foot by two foot box. <laughs> right. You need to actually, because by him just dying immediately, he doesn't get that time to deal yeah. with his consequences, you know? And so many people say that the closure is important, too, when it comes to that kind of crime for the families and everything to find out, like, to bring the body home and to, you know, be able to give, like, an, a victim impact statement for the family. But to not get any of that just seems like... Gotta move on, sorry. So rough. Like, yeah, I don't know. So the, the ending is like what really is like, oh, come on, really? Really? Yeah. But otherwise, I like it. I was gonna say pretty good movie. It's a, it's a mid-tier movie in my opinion. Honestly, yeah. And you know what, too? The other thing that bothers me about the ending is she probably could have come back and done both just at separate times. Right, you didn't. You so could've she been... could have came back and kissed Ray, and and also been like went back to the heaven and been like, just one more thing, girls. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'll just be right over here, ladies. I have something else to take care of that benefits everyone. Really, <laughs> truly. Don't worry, I'll be helping us all. I don't know. 
I mean, she is only 14, but still. Yeah. But she, like, <laughs> she, like, edges herself all the way into heaven, like, several times, it feels like, and just turns around. So to just be, like, the kiss is her final move. Yeah. Mm. Not from me, girl. So, Stephanie, do you like how the Lovely Bones dealt with ghosts? I mean, it was an interesting concept. I guess I would say more or less that Susie's not haunting and mm. more of a spirit than a ghost. Is there a difference? Uh, <laughs> Isn't that the same thing? I or? guess. I don't know. I feel like spirit is a little bit less intense and stuff like that. If I don't know. I'm just making up my own definition. Oh, that's right. fair. I was just curious because, like, I don't know. I feel like spirit and ghost is, like, saying the same thing. In my opinion. I think it's interesting because, yeah, she's really in the in-between. She's not really in the house. She's just, right. like, she, like, conjures up where she wants to be in the house. Like, yeah. when she was doing the whole flame thing, she was at a, her gazebo doing it. So she wasn't right. in the house. Yeah, and her world kind of, like, bends and moves to whatever she needs to see or be doing. Like, when she's in her house, when she first realizes that she's dead and it opens up to the bathroom of her killer, their houses aren't connected. They're, she doesn't share a bathroom with her killer. It's not physically there in the right. real world. It yeah. just happens to show her, you know, reveal to her what had happened. Yeah, like, manifests. Yeah. Like, her emotions and how she's feeling and, like, snippets of what's happening in the real world affect her fake world that she lives in. So, while she's kind of haunting in a way, the real world's haunting her. Yeah. Fake world, which is interesting. I guess the reason, too, why I called her a spirit is more because she's not really on the earthly plane and stuff like that. She is more like in heaven and the in-between and just kind of like affecting Mm -hmm. stuff on the outside. When I feel like a ghost is more like someone stuck on our plane. Okay. Yeah. I could could see that. I see that. I feel like... I'm sure they're interchangeable though. (laughs) Yeah. So it's interesting because like back in Casper, we have the whole concept of unfinished business and that's very clearly the same situation here. She's like in a limbo state until she's ready to kind of... Do it. Nothing's like, unlike Casper, like once you do your unfinished business, you pass over, like you don't have that choice. It just kind of happens kind of thing with Kerrigan, you know? Right. I'm done. And she couldn't stop it. (laughs) Susie has the choice. Yeah. To to pass over when she's ready. Which is nice because it's almost like reflecting of her family's process of grieving her as well, too. Mm -hmm. Like when they're ready to let go of her in that sense, like she is also ready to move on. Mm Mm-hmm. My question to you is Holly. So she shows up in Susie's world. Mm -hmm. Do you think Holly had already passed on and she's just visiting Susie in her world? Or do you think Holly's still in the process of... It seems like she's already moved on, right? Yeah. She's more of like a guide in the sense, I think. Because when she meets one of the girls in heaven before the other girls get to come through as well, she says the others will be here soon. So I think they're all kind of almost in their own in-between, and then they can kind of meet at this center heaven and place together. and be together whenever they want to be. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because... Because Holly's not always with her either. Right. Because that begs the question. So, like, they were waiting for Susie to move on, right? hmm So are they assuming that she's the last victim and they're all going to move on? Because, like, what if he killed again? Then they're not there to help, you know? Right. Is that weird how it's kind of like... I don't think they were all waiting for Susie to move on. They were just waiting for Susie to enter their heaven, like... The actual heaven? Yeah, like... like not the in-between. Yeah, not the in-between. So, I don't know, because Susie describes it as, like, a bigger heaven. So, she almost describes her in-between as heaven at first. Mm-hmm. 
in a way, because it's a world of her own making and all this shit. (laughs) (laughs) All this stuff. Yeah. But then she says something about, like, Holly opened up a wider heaven and she was able to see it, but she wasn't ready to go. And Mm -hmm. then all these birds fly away from the tree and (laughs) making it kind of, like, shut down on her in a way. Yeah, symbolism. Shut it down. You ain't ready, Susie. (laughs) Shall not pass. It is interesting. I wonder if the next step, like, because you know how, like, her mood, her world was crumbling around her. I wonder if that, when she moves on, that won't happen anymore because she's in a better place, quote-unquote. The thing that really irks me, not irks me, but is, like, I guess unsettling in the way that she describes heaven is because when she's narrating the story, she almost comes from a place as if, like, all of this has already previously happened. Like, her struggle and the in-between has already happened. Mm-hmm. And because, like, all of it's past tense. Like, I willed him to stop. Yeah. And at one point, she talks about, like, another neighbor or somebody in the town that could have been suspected. But she says, you know, like, he does look suspicious, but he never hurt anyone. And, in fact, his daughter died of leukemia the following year. But I never saw her in my heaven. So does that mean she's only surrounded by people that died from the same cause in her own personal heaven? Well, I don't know, because I feel like that was kind of my question with Holly is, are they choosing to visit her? Like, you have to go to someone else's kind of situation. So, like, no one's just going to show up in your own heaven because it's your heaven, right? Right. So, like, no one's going to share the same realm as you, right? I guess. I don't know. Like, I kind of think of... The in-between is sort of like an elevator situation. like <laughs> Which floor? <laughs> well, like when there's no floor in between or whatever. So you're just kind of like gravitating between heaven and earth, heaven and earth. So when they open up into heaven, I assume where this field and the tree is, that's where they will all just remain after like whenever they want to come back from their own in-betweens. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Think of it this way. Earth is like the first floor. Yeah. Real heaven is, like, the rooftop, right? Right. And everything else in between are, like, different people's heavens. So each person has, like, a four or something. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I just don't know. I don't know how that works. Like, could Susie, in theory, go to someone else's heaven? Like, I don't like, know. Stop by. Hello. Because that makes me sad on the sense of, like, she'll never be able to reunite with her family whenever they do pass. Like, if she's only stuck with the people that were also killed by Harvey. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think once she passes to heaven, heaven, like not this in between. I see the in between as like limbo. Yeah. So once she actually passes to heaven, that's where like everyone is. Once Maybe. they complete whatever they wanted to do, their unfinished business. Yeah. Their business. They move on. Maybe. That's what I'm thinking. That's how I think it works out. Okay. So maybe when the one girl says the others will be here soon, they're in heaven. That's what I was And she's just calling them forward to, you know, bring Susie into the light. Yeah, (laughs) it doesn't make sense for all of them to go to the light together because there might be another victim. Right. Like, I don't think they're going to wait. Yeah, if something else happened, I think, like, if another victim occurred, Susie would come forward with the other ones in heaven, I believe, and welcome them as well. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, Holly. They already moved on kind of a thing, so they're all helping. Yeah. And then what if, thank God there isn't another victim, but if there were to be another victim, they'd all help. Maybe Susie, the last person to die or something. Maybe. Maybe. Cause it's like their mentor. Yeah, because Holly was the most recent. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's very interesting. Again, I think the concept was really good. Mm-hmm. The execution is what lacked a little bit. Like, it was weird because at one point in the movie, it feels like Susie wasn't even like a part of it for a long while. And I'm like, this isn't really a ghost movie. Yeah. Which is fine, because the horror comes from the living. Right. <laughs> it ain't the ghost, which, you know, even in something like Crimson Peak, the ghosts were scary, but they weren't, like, the bad thing, so. Yeah. 
I feel like there's like a spiritual influence though. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, but so it's hard to say. Like, yeah, I don't know if Susie that technically falls under that category of a ghost right. though either. And then uh, ultimately, it didn't matter because she didn't stop anything. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but the main character is dead, so she's a ghost spirit, right? Unalive yeah. person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she at least falls into that category. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show and listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, giving us five-star rating is super helpful, and we would definitely appreciate it. And you can find us on social media using 13 Degrees of Screams. This has been 13 Degrees of Screams, and we will see you next creep. It's a pun on week. You've said that before. Oh. <laughs>